name of God, Father, Son, lips, that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus is journeying towards his death in Jerusalem, and before he gets there, he sends out 70 of those who have been following him into towns, telling them to take nothing at all with them to bringing his peace and to heal those in need of his healing touch. And when they return, they are absolutely amazed because in his name, demons submit to them. And he says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Make no mistake, the battle that Jesus came to fight and win was a cosmic one, one most truly seen with spiritual eyes, and he makes no bones about it. It is a spiritual battle. We live in a physical, material world, and yet we are both physical and spiritual beings. And every action, every interaction, every word in the physical realm has an unseen and yet truly powerful effect in the spiritual realm, either for good or for evil. Every day of our lives, by our speech and by our actions, we are either increasing the power of the one or the other. There is a spiritual battle going on that comes into also the physical realm in which we primarily understand ourselves to be living. Jesus does not, however, down God's children, Satan. He knows the damage he has caused and can cause to God's children and to the expansion of the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. Although he also knows the limits of Satan. He says, for the gates of hell will not prevail against God's kingdom, against the kingdom of light. That doesn't mean that gates move, that hell is coming against the kingdom of light. It means the gates are there and they seem impenetrable, but Jesus says they're not. They will not withstand the kingdom of light coming against them. Nothing will be able to withstand God's kingdom, his power, the kingdom of light coming into the darkness. But the existence of evil, of a personal force of evil, cannot be discounted. And it's not discounted in God's word. Satan, or the devil, is revealed as a deceiver of God's people, of an accuser of God's people. He accuses us, but he leads us into sin and then accuses us of sin before God. He is a, pers- a being of deceit, of malice, 
of evil. He is the enemy of our souls, each and every one, the enemy of our very being. He is implacably ranged against God's beloved and against God's creation. He masquerades as an angel of light. His name is also Lucifer. All that glitters is not gold, and it needs eyes of faith to be able to see the counterfeit and the genuine. And we get to know that and make that discernment by being in God's word and in prayer so that things that look like light but are not light are discerned by our spiritual beings. Noted psychiatrist M. Scott Peck back in the 70s wrote a book of bestseller called The Road Less Traveled. And initially he did not believe in the existence of a personal force of evil. But a decade or so later, he wrote another book called The People of the Lie, The Hope for Healing Human Evil. And he wrote in it, having come over the years to a belief in the reality of God and a belief in the reality of human evil, I was left facing an obvious intellectual question. Is there such a thing as an evil spirit, namely the devil? I thought not. In common with 99% of psychiatrists and the majority of clergy. I did not think the devil existed. Still, priding myself on being an open-minded scientist, I felt I had to examine the evidence that might challenge my inclination. And he goes on to explain what he then says, I now know Satan is real. I have met it. C.S. Lewis knew about this reality also, but he challenged the people to not fall into one of two opposing and yet um, erroneous ideas about evil. He said the one error is to completely discount a personal force of evil. And the other is to, to spend too much time thinking about it, to imagine that there's a demon or a devil or a spirit underneath every rock and behind every bush. Those are two kind of opposing and yet equal errors that we can fall into. But in that search, he also saw the power of God to overthrow Satan. It's interesting that God oftentimes does this to me, but um, before preaching uh, yesterday evening, I was kind of skimming through my Facebook page, and there popped up an article from the Washington Post written on the 1st of July this year by another psychiatrist, um, his name Richard Gallagher, who did his uh, work in, uh, he first of all went to Princeton in classics and history, and then he went to um, Yale for psychiatry, and then he went to uh, Columbia for psychology, and, uh, and he was telling about the fact that he was still um, a psychiatrist, still treating people for psychological issues, but several years ago, a Roman Catholic priest came to him with someone 
who he wanted this man to discern whether or not it was truly a psychological issue with her. And at the end, he had to say to the clergyman, I was very, very skeptic. Okay, I did not believe in any of this stuff. But there is no medical cause for what is happening in this woman's life. And he's gone on uh, since then to discern whether or not there are oppressions and in very rare cases whether or not there are indeed possession. Uh, go and Google Richard Gallagher in, uh, in the Washington Post. He's writing a book about it. It happens. There is a force ranged against us. But know this. It's not an even battle. Lord's already won. See, that's why he's sending out the 70 ahead of him. He's sending them out to bring peace, to bring healing, to bring in, to usher in new creation into the kingdom of darkness. This world we live in is no longer under the complete thrall of the enemy of our souls. He's actually been defeated Satan has been crushed under the heel of Jesus. And so he sends out on a mission of peace and reconciliation and healing 70 before him, before he goes. You see, he came for this. He came for this spiritual battle. After his baptism in the Jordan, he goes into the wilderness and he is tempted by Satan. There's an easier way. You don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to die. We can do it with glory. We can do it with showering people with glittering images of your power. And Jesus responded to each of those temptations with a word of truth from Scripture and the enemy of our souls left him alone. Jesus' mission, the mission of the incarnation, the mission of God, Spirit, putting on our flesh was precisely to defeat Satan, to defeat his power and bring in new creation life. And do you not think that if there was another way other than the cross, that the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God would have used it? The cross is foolishness to man, and yet the very wisdom of God because the cross is where Satan is defeated with the shed blood of the God-man Jesus who came in obedience and self-sacrificial love to do that for us, to release us from the yoke of the enemy that we could not do by ourselves. Gail D. Webb, who wrote the book, The Night and Nothing, said this, The only ultimate way to conquer evil 
is to let it be smothered within a willing, living human being. When it is absorbed there like blood in a sponge or a spear thrown into one's heart, it loses its power and goes no further. You just need to turn on the television, open up a newspaper to know that evil begets evil that it is a cycle, that the more evil is, is met with violence or other evil, evil just bloats itself on that and expands. The only way to defeat evil is by the willing sacrifice of God on a cross. He came not to counteract, not to battle Satan with his own game, but he gained to give his life and in that way win the battle. He came for reconciliation. He came to reconcile the world to himself, to usher into the kingdom of darkness the peace of his kingdom. And he sends them out and says, the fields are ripe for harvest. Bring into the granary of the Lord. Bring into new creation life all those who are bound in the darkness. Go, pray for workers in the harvest that more and more will be brought into this new creation, kingdom life. It's why he tells the 70 that their first words must be peace, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. And he sends them out with Nothing, no sandals, no bag, nothing for the journey except the power of God. Because every time we think we can do it in our own strength, whether or not it's because of wealth or positional authority or academics or we're really strong or we're really brainy or we're really this, that and the other, we take away the effectiveness of God's power in our lives. We reduce the availability of God's power to work through us. It's when we have nothing and we acknowledge that we have nothing in and of ourselves that God's power is the greatest, can work the greatest. It's why when I invite people into ministry and they say, well, I'm really not equipped for that, I'm going, good. That's a good answer. Nobody's equipped, but God will. If you think you have anything in and of yourself that can do God's work, let it go. Because it's only God working in each and every one in his power that it will happen. And they knew this because they come back and they're amazed. Lord, in your name, even the demons submitted to us. In his name, absolutely, and there is no other. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which we may be saved. And it's in his name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend. Whether in heaven or on earth, 
It is Jesus' name that is all-powerful. And yes, demons tremble at the name of Jesus even today. It's not an equal battle, though. Remember the old myth of good ranged of a, 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 against evil and that it seems like it's an equal battle and will the, will the good win or will the evil win? No. God is far superior in power to any evil out there in the world. He is the creator of all things and on the cross the enemy is already defeated and will eventually be completely annihilated. He will no longer exist. But in the meantime, it's given to us the free will to either help in feeding evil so that it gets more bloated with power or to help in extending light and new creation. Elie Wiesel just died. He was one who extended light in the face of absolute horror and evil. He stood up for what was right. He would not be bowed, cowed by evil and what he had seen. But he lived to spread justice and light. We feed evil with anger, unforgiveness, gossip, pride, vanity, envy, and the like. And Paul has a word of caution for us if we're complicit in this way of bloating evil and extending the kingdom of darkness. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. However, we can fight and deflate the power of evil with peace, reconciliation, forgiveness, humility, self-sacrificial love. By these we sow to the Spirit. And in so doing, our promise that we will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So Paul exhorts us to not grow weary in doing what is right. For as Jesus tells the 70 and us, yes, the demons submit to us in his name. But the more important thing is this, that our names are written in the book of life. That our names are written in heaven that we are inheritors of a new creation of the kingdom of God and enemies of the kingdom of darkness. Where may we sow to the kingdom of light and may our work and our words defeat the kingdom of darkness. Amen. <laughs>